This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you from the great folks over at Gamesurplus.com, bringing the world of board games to you. Now, onto the show. Heavy Cardboard, Episode 97, Transatlantic. Coming to you from the headquarters of the Cunard Steamship Company, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. So my ribs continued to heal, yay. Thank However, goodness. had a horrible sneezing fit earlier. Mm. I was desperate to stop sneezing. I, I, I would have paid large sums of money mm. to stop sneezing. It hurts, and the thing is, it hurts for hours afterwards. So if I could make one recommendation to everybody that's listening to this, whatever you do, do not fracture your ribs, ever. <laughs> Okay. Isn't that just kind of general knowledge? I mean, it's not like something that you're just now figuring out. Yeah, I'm not just now figuring it out, but I have personal experience with it now, so I feel like I come from a a, a point you can of buy it knowledge. Honestly, okay. yeah, 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 exactly. And so the patron shirts came in, and they look awesome. Yeah, they they really do. So I was going through our our orders that we've made through the local t-shirt company that we've done that we've used from the very beginning uh-huh. and the first order was 26 months ago we ordered back when it was tony and i mm-hmm. we ordered 15 shirts this order 361 <laughs> a little a little bit different there just just a hair wow right yeah, i crazy. mean that's incredible mm-hmm. our basement library is now chock full of t-shirts it looks like a gap warehouse we've been accused of wait i thought you quit the show and went to work at the gap right but we also luckily have doors that will close there so that the cat cannot frolic yes either knocking them over or getting cat hair either way either now, one asher asher really couldn't care less he nope. wouldn't but yeah, yeah so anyway pretty cool we do have the new color offered of the uh, since 18xx shirts, the black ones. So we now have, let's see, we have black, we have brick or clay, depending on how you want to call it. Right. We have our blue, uh-huh. we have mint and uh-huh. orange, uh-huh. and we have the two patron-only t-shirts. A lot of t-shirts. Designed by Ian O'Toole, which mm-hmm. those turned out awesome. They did. So they look so good. Big thank you to Ian for the design, and yeah, real happy with that. So that that one is black with a red meeple in Davis's trunk, and the look on his face is just... Just, just, uh, just dang it. Yeah. And the other one's in oatmeal, which, I'll be honest, when I first, I was like, because we let Ian choose what colors. Mm-hmm. We, we, we said we wanted one without the color of the meeple, so for those that didn't want it, and the other one black. He chose oatmeal, and I was like, really? I looked at it. Okay, yeah, good choice. Yeah, it, it looks, looks really good. good. It looks so, really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Leave it to the graphic design guy. Who knew, right? Right. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary of being on YouTube, and... Episode 100 is right around the corner. Yes. Oh, dare I say, three weeks from now. This is bonkers crazy. So I think they actually might line up, weirdly enough. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Um, oh, that... I think they actually do. That That's pretty... That's yeah. pretty... 
that's weird Odd. and awesome um so what we're wanting is to make a kind of um a montage type thing of favorite clips from all the plays that we've done on YouTube. Not just plays, but what were your favorite moments? Favorite moments. moments. It could be from an interview that Edward did. It could be from a game we played. It could be from a an weekly look elephant, ahead. And it, yeah, a, any of that. Yeah. So what we're asking y'all to help us with, help us make this montage, is if you have a favorite one, two, maybe even three moments in the first year of the show on YouTube, send us a link and a timestamp. Yes. That is really, really important. And you know what? Very well might be included in the video. Yeah, so it's we exciting. definitely definitely would appreciate y'all's help with that. But we want it to be an interactive thing. That's kind of our MO. That's how we do things here right. at, at HCHQ. Mm-hmm. So yeah, be a part of this. And on that note, so that's for the video. For the hundredth episode. Any ideas or suggestions on what we should do with episode 100? And I say that because of, I don't want us to have a bunch of people from the industry or whatever just being like, oh, yeah, it's amazing. You guys made it to 100. We know we made it to 100. We don't need that. Right. So we're, I don't know. Do we just do a regular episode? I, I don't know. Yeah. So if you guys have any favorite moments from the first 100 episodes, Send us links to those with timestamps, and yep. we might be able to include something like that. So, But honestly, we have three weeks to figure this. Well, no, we have three weeks till this releases. We have about two and a half, two weeks. Yeah, I'd say two weeks mm-hmm. to really get a good idea. So if you have input, now would be a time to, to help us decide on what to do with this. Yeah, it would. And you can either email us at contact at heavycardboard.com with that information or use the contact us link on the website at heavycardboard.com. Cool. And you were over here shaking your head that... It uh, it will line up. It will The 100th episode of Heavy Cardboard will be the same week as the one-year anniversary of YouTube. You know, and I realize this episode got delayed a week because but, of life, but it really wasn't on purpose mm-mm. because of that. Just a happy coincidence. Yep. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. That'll be a heck of a week of celebration uh-huh. right there, let me tell you. Leading up to that week, that means we're going to be at Arizona Game Fair uh, in a few weeks, February 9th to 11th in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the Phoenix area or you want to go to a convention, and it sounds like there's going to be a whole lot of really cool stuff going on. It does. Uh, at the Arizona Game Fair. So Paul Dean from Shut Up and Sit Down is the is the featured guest or special guest or fill in the right word. He's coming along with other media types. And I've been asked to sit down and conduct the interview with Paul in front of a live audience. You know, I've done that, but I haven't done that. Right. right? You haven't done it in front of physical people. You've done it in front of um, characters like uh, the alphabet. Yeah, right. I.e. live on YouTube. So this will be a little bit different, but I'm pretty excited about that. You will be just wonderfully fine. And then we're both going to be on a panel for uh, like, so you want to be a reviewer or anything. Uh, And then there's another one on Sunday, how to get into 18XX that I'm going to be running that, that panel. So should be I, i'm i'm not used to being on panels but yeah, i'm no. excited about it I think, I think it'll be a lot of fun i think this will be our second panel ever. i think so yeah, yeah. and the last one was at 
Arizona Game Fair. No, it was at West Texas Con. Oh, you're right. It was. We didn't, he didn't have panels last That's year. That shows right. you how much he's growing Arizona Game Fair. Right. And obviously, we're going to be playing games. Um, so hopefully, folks want to play games with us because yeah. we'll be there to play games. And we'll have t-shirts. Oh, yeah. And sh- other swag. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's that. Then, a couple weeks after the one-year anniversary, you and I are heading to Portugal. That's right. So I don't know if I've talked about this on the show as the why we're going to LyriaCon, but it all stems from Essen the year before. So Essen 2016, I'm there, and What's Your Game hosted me at the booth, which, again, thanks to them for that. Oh, yeah. But obviously Nuno and Paulo were there, right? Designers, Madeira, Panamax, et cetera, et cetera, as well as Jill was there as well. Right. And I was like, so you guys ever come to HeavyCon? And they were like, well, you come to LyriaCon, we'll come to HeavyCon. I said, done. They said, next year? I said, whoa. I said, 2018, <laughs> we'll make it. And I we said, are. Then you're on the hook for HeavyCon. And they're like, all right. Well, fellas, yep. we're officially booked, mm-hmm. meaning we have the flight. We have so plane we're tickets. Coming. Yep. yep. We're, we're coming. So that honestly was the impetus for us to go to LyriaCon. Mm-hmm. We're excited, obviously, to go to Portugal. Well, yeah. And, dude. We're going to Lisbon. I know. For, it's well, amazing. We'll, we'll only be there for a couple hours as we drive. Still, it's from, Portugal. It's Portugal. So I was telling uh, Paulo the other day, I was like, I know you guys are going to be crazy busy running the con, but hopefully we have time to you know sit around and have dinner or whatever. He said, don't worry. There's plenty of time to drink wine. And I, being around that man for about five minutes, I understand that. Yes, I cannot wait. <laughs> it's going to be... Be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of alcohol. We're going to bring all our recording stuff. We're going to bring yeah. our camera with us. Yeah, it should be a really good time. So the d- daily diary should be really exciting. It should be from, fun uh, from Liria Khan. Then a week after we get back from that, I take off to the Gamma Trade Show, which is mid March, and this is kind of a cool little. I don't know if you want to call it a milestone or I think just, a milestone's a good way to put it. Yeah. We qualified as a tier one media outlet. So that was that was just kind of cool. So mm-hmm. like, wow, Gamma is recognizing us yeah. as as legit. Like, awesome. We're, call, call me a noble, noble steed. steed. <laughs> so yeah, looking forward to that. Um this will be my first time at the Gamma Trade Show, which this is a trade show. This is not open to the public. And what it is, from what I gather, from what I've been told, honestly, most of my info came from Clay over at Capstone. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, last year, he was like, you need to come to this. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to that if I can. Right. And here we are. What it is, is a lot of publishers and especially distributors have booths there. And then retailers come from around the country to basically get relationships Mm -hmm. um like hey why should your game be on my shelf at my friendly local game store here that i have and wherever i have it Mm -hmm. and along with that the media is going to be there so we'll be there both looking at stuff that's upcoming but also it's just really good networking opportunities i think is what it is you would think so and i'll be honest uh, unfortunately, I'm a little bummed that it's not in Vegas this year. It's in Reno. <laughs> but uh, for those that don't know, I used to play poker professionally. So in the evenings, well, if I don't have any meetings, you'll probably find me at the Peppermill poker table. Yep. So there's that. I'm looking forward to that. So that's pretty cool. Unfortunately, Amanda's not going to this one. Again, 
do to work, but I... I'll be holding down the fort here. Yep, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, of course. So speaking of milestones, we hit the latest one over at PledgeHC.com. Very, very exciting. So this one allows us to continue to make improvements here in the studio. This one's going to be mostly focused on the video side of things. We already bought a second Canon XA30 video camera for the studio. Uh, so this may, we actually bought it because the first one we found out was defective. The lens, we've kind of been compensating for it. Right. And this one, so we're going to get that one repaired. But the second one we bought, we thought we were only going to buy it temporarily. Well, now that we hit the milestone. Now we just got it. Nope, we're keeping it. And this also means that we're going to be able to work on a second studio as well as the rig that we think is going to make for interesting viewing for Black War games. It's going to take a little while to continue to build all these things while, you know, producing the show and everything else. But pretty thrilled that we're able to do this. So thank you to all of our listeners, our viewers, and especially our patrons. Yes, thank you guys so, so much. Big thank you to our sponsor, BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a customized, one-of-a-kind board game table, go check them out, BoardGameTables.com. All right, there's a couple special shout-outs that I want to give uh, for some pretty cool stuff that a couple of listeners slash viewers slash patron whatever folks have, have done for us mm -hmm. recently. So Phil Cardi... He's taken a lot of time, more yes. than I care to imagine, to put together a website that tracks everybody's playthrough records, percentages, etc., on all of our live streams. It's a really amazing work, and a and it has a bit of tongue in cheek in there as well. So if you want to check it out, it's elephantsmaxim.us. So it's e l e p h a s m a x i m. US. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. A big, big thank you to Phil for doing that. It's really cool. And it's it's current all the way through Tuesday's Gentis stream. So it's it's he's keeping it updated. You can filter it, you can sort it, you can do all kinds of cool stuff. So definitely go check it out. He spent a lot of time yep. on that. And the the one spoiler that I will give, because this was hysterical, I was reading in Slack. That so Matt makes a big deal about the fact that he takes second place a lot, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. And it's it's true he does. However, he takes second, the second most, which, which is, is perfect, uber meta, right? Yes. I mean, Matt has taken it to a whole new level. Well done, Matt. <laughs> and the other shout out that I wanted to give was to uh, Brian Hegarty, noob N E U B on BGG. He's been keeping a geek list updated with all the ratings that we've given games throughout the entire history of the show. Just wanted to give him a shout out as well. So thanks, Brian. And we'll also include the link in the show notes. So since it's been a couple of weeks, what have we acquired since the last episode? There have been a, a small handful of things. I do mean small. So BIOS Megafauna and BIOS Genesis, the Kickstarter ones, those arrived. I've heard a lot of folks about getting wrong, either the wrong game or wrong and missing components. So definitely don't keep this one in shrink if right. you're the type that does that. I would definitely check your copies. And then we got uh, the flow of history. 
both the regular and the deluxe version from Tasty Minstrel to check out. Now, we've had the original. Yeah, for flo- a couple si- years yeah, now. Si- since SN 2016, I, I think, think it so. was. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they picked it up. So uh, Lance was like, hey, you want to check it out? I was like, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll be able to compare and contrast yeah, the, be cool. the two versions. And then uh, Columbia Games sent us uh, Combat Infantry, which is a block war game. Nice. Their, their latest, which... Like I said, once we get this rig built mm-hmm. that we're going to try and do for the uh, for the Black War games, you guys will be able to see them live and in person. Well, in camera. You live get the idea. Live and in color. Yeah, there you go. Go with that. <laughs> is there anything on the hunting list right now? There is and there isn't. So we don't talk often about a lot of games on Kickstarter. However, there are a lot of good games currently on kickstarter so i figure i would you know mention a well i say a handful but there's quite the list so here we go you ready let's let's go the tokyo series including tokyo metro which we're going to be live streaming next week which buddy of ours jordan draper we're not doing a sponsor playthrough we're just doing a playthrough so folks can see it and help make decision on that Seize the Bean, which is a deck builder to where you're trying to become the most hipster most uh most popular most cool uh, coffee shop in berlin which speaking of which they shared a booth with jordan at essen and they were constantly serving coffee obviously because of seize the bean so jordan was very hyper when we met him (laughs) and i have a feeling that's why maybe maybe (laughs) so we're looking forward to that in fact that copy our uh, our review copy or prototype of seize the bean literally just arrived it's at the p.o box right now that we're going to go pick up That's after right. we're done with this u-boot or u-boat i get me it's spelled u-boot okay it is. so we saw this at Essen. we did it's really interesting it's a well first off it's a co-op not our cup of tea right. normally right. however it's got a 3d u u-boat and it's app driven in that whenever you raise the periscope you look in the app and wherever you move it's got uh gimbals it uses the gimbals of the phone to where when you tilt it up you're looking up in the sky it's, really it's like cool. you're looking through a periscope the way you track movement is much like how you would track movement on a sub there's a lot of aspects of this that mm-hmm. i'm really really excited about and we're getting a copy so i'm looking forward to you yeah. Newspeak is code breaking in a dystopian future. Uh, yes, please. We The code breaking aspect, and this is, again, not in our normal wheelhouse, right. but it's kind of a, uh, I don't want to say social deduction, but it's kind of a a step up from a party game in that it's it's a somewhat serious, mm-hmm. um, serious party game, maybe might be a good way to put it. Okay. Uh, it's one that we, we had talked to the designers at, about at Essen. It's from the same folks that made Statecraft, which we're looking forward to giving that a mm-hmm, try mm-hmm. later on here, too. Warriors of Jogu Faint, kind of a new take on a battle line type game. We did a live stream we for did. it. We did. And then a surprising number of war games are currently That's on Kickstarter. Bizarre. America Falling, The Coming Civil War, Normandy, The Beginning of the End, Corsair Leader, and Thunder in the East. Now, a couple of those are about to end in the next day or two, but still, really good-looking war games. Yeah. Good to see them on uh, on Kickstarter. Then there's the Abstract Hermetica, 
Gentis just started, right. which obviously we just did the playthrough of. The Scarlet Pimpernel, which is from Eagle Griffin and Ian O'Toole's artwork. That's right. That looks really, really good. CO2 is right around the corner. Which is also Vital, Lacerda, and Ian as well. Right. And the biggie, or at least biggie for, for what I'm anticipating, Brazil is right. still coming sometime in the next handful of months. Maybe they'll have something at Lyricon? Yeah, I'm, I, I hope Question so. Mark. That would be really, really cool. It would. So, yeah. And the last thing that I wanted to bring up here in this is there's a new company that I hadn't heard of that hit my radar recently. It's Aleph Game Studio, A-L-E-P-H Game Studio. It's out of Italy. Mm-hmm. They're focusing on war games and some really off-the-beaten-path 18xx games that are coming so yeah check that out if that's huh. your cup of tea a left game studio what's hit the table recently well, there's a well i mean you know all you've been a part of almost all these right <laughs> True. transatlantic warriors of jogu faint feudum obviously we did the big live stream of that on monday yeah and that that hit the table a number of times and is going to again a couple more because we need to be able to review it here soon Rising Sun, which we're going to be live streaming tonight. That's right. Feudalia, 18CZ, which I'll be I'll be honest, I was really surprised at how amazing of a two-player game 18CZ was to where that I didn't feel like concessions were made to make it a two-player oh, game. That's I nice. felt like it was an 18 I felt like I got a full 18xx experience. Nice. And that was a fantastic one. 1849, which that's a hard game. <laughs> Brussels, 1893, Gentis, and Santa Maria. Well, lots so, of stuff. Yeah, lot, lots of good games have been hitting the table. Not there, Honestly, there's only been a couple of those that were like, eh, that's fine. Right. So, Everything yeah, else has overall, been like, woo! Pretty good. Don't forget, everybody, that the Pixie Queen giveaway is still open until Friday, which is tomorrow, which is January 26th, 2018. So go on over to heavycardboard.com forward slash queen to enter. So it's a Matt Gertz game without a rondelle. Yeah, right. The- what? There are, there are a handful of those out there, and this one is, is well, one of those. Transatlantic. Published in 2017, designed by the aforementioned Matt Gertz. Artwork by Dominic Mayer and published by P.D. Verlag. And also here in the States is going to be by Rio Grande Games. Mm-hmm. Plays two to four players in about an hour to two hours. As far as availability and cost, our sponsor, Game Surplus, has the game in stock currently for $46.95. So if you're interested in the game, we would definitely recommend you going and checking that out. Absolutely. And as far as plays and player counts, I've played the game five times, and we've played it across the entire player yeah, count, two, three, Same and here. four. Yep. Fill everybody on what's going on. In Transatlantic, players lead their own shipping companies, which transport freight, mail, and passengers around the globe. The game's driven by cards. On each turn, play one card, execute the related action, including purchasing new historical steamships from the market. As new cards enter the game, players build their individual deck of cards with newer improved options, with the goal being to manage your merchant fleet the most efficiently. If you're familiar with Concordia, this game's going to feel very familiar to you. Right. 
So let's talk about the five factors that we think gives a game its weight, starting with complexity or the rules overhead. So BGG has the complexity rating for this game at 3.15, which puts it like squarely in the medium category. And the rules of this game are not complex. I will say the vast majority of them can be found in way of text on the cards in play as well. Yeah, it, it some of that, the heavy lifting, if you will, right. of the rules have been offloaded to the card. And the rule book, including everything but setup, is all of six pages. Yeah, it's small. So it's not a very rules-intensive game. So as far as the the complexity here, I would say is fairly low as far as impacting the weight. And I think I think what you alluded to with the BGG weight weight rating is going to be pretty close to where I think both you and I have it. Yeah. And what about planning? There is a fair bit. Um, it even though it doesn't really obviously look like a a stock or or share investment game it really kind of is Mm -hmm. not to the extent that another matt gertz game imperial is but the ships that you buy are going to impact the share value if you will when you scrap these ships and so there is a, a a fair bit of planning all the way in the way what you choose to buy as far as ships because they're broken up into different colors. So it's not just what ships you buy, it's when you buy them. Yeah. And so I, I think from that aspect, there's there's a decent amount of planning involved. How about I would, you? Yeah, I would say keeping an eye on what colors of ships are in those docks, like you mentioned, for scrapping, as well as paying attention to what ships are out in each area, each area of the board, placing trade houses and doing as best you can to utilize that president card as effectively as possible, or really that's really all i can think of yep and speaking of the president card so this game has uh we actually have only played it with the official variant yeah when i interviewed matt gertz at essen he had mentioned that the director card is not how the game was originally designed so that's the base game and then the variant is the president card which replaces the director card and because he said that that's how we've played the game the entire time we haven't played it and honestly there's no reason not to if you're listening to this um if you enjoy the types of games that we enjoy you'll be fine uh, yeah the president's uh variant which is basically just a little bit more player control over Mm -hmm. things and and yeah yeah i whenever i was reviewing this because i i don't look at rule books you know that so whenever i was reviewing and everything for to get ready for this episode i did look at the i looked at the rule book and i was like what is this director thing i don't understand oh that's not what that's what we don't play okay right, right, so right. it took me a, i could not figure out what was going on i was like is this an old version of the rules like what am i looking at but i was confused but fair anyway. enough and there's another uh variant on the back of the conveyor for the yes. ships that only some ships come with coal as opposed to having a, a higher cost associated with them. So that's take it or leave it, yeah. whichever floats your boat. But I do feel like the president uh, variant, quote mm-hmm. unquote, I'm using air quotes here because that shows up really well on a podcast. Obviously. Uh, that's definitely the version that we would recommend playing. I would agree with that, yes. But overall, planning wise, I would say there's a fair bit, but it also can be a, a decent mix of tactical ga- uh, game because it all depends on what ships are going to come out. It depends on what other c- what cards play what cards players are playing as well as when they're playing them. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts with the same deck of cards, a la Concordia. So what cards they've added to their deck 
is where it's going to become a little bit of asymmetry. But other than that, it's just knowing, okay, he's already played this or that. Card counting just a little bit. Right. And so, yeah, so a fair, fair, fair bit of tactical and strategic mixed in. As far as random luck factors? I mean, all the cards in the game are drawn from luck. The ships, the action cards, everything is, you know... You, you know what order they're going to come out in? You know, era one, two, three, four, whatever. But yeah, you they're don't chronological, know, Yeah, but you too. don't know when yeah, they're coming out. Yeah, there's 10 sets of of ship cards. Right. And so they're, they're ranged from, from, well, zero to 10, but the zeros are pregame. So you shuffle the ones together, then the uh, then and you the shuffle twos, the and twos, threes, and, the fours, and then yeah. you stack the ones on top of the twos, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you know about when. So there's, mitig- not mitigated, but there's... Uh, controlled randomness in there and same goes with the extra cards that you can add into your deck there's an a deck and a b deck but they're all pretty similar so and eventually they all get shuffled together as you cycle through these cards so yeah there's a randomness to the the to the draw itself but it's kind of like you said it's kind of mitigated controlled ish type thing somewhat yeah then as far as game length, I don't think it adds anything at all to the weight. It no. felt appropriate for the game. It might hang on a hair long if players don't buy the last ship or yes. two at the end of the game and they're trying to maximize their positions versus ending the game. So I feel like potentially the game can drag a little bit and the game has that whole everyone takes the same number of turns and then you take one additional mm-hmm. turn on top of that. It I think of it as kind of a soft ending that these games have, which can extend the game a hair longer than, honestly, than it needs to. I'm not a fan of those. I would much rather, you know what? Someone bought that last ship. Okay, trigger it. Mm -hmm. That's the end of the game. You know what? Hashtag plan better. (laughs) But overall, I feel like it plays fine for its weight. How about you? I would agree with that. And I would also say that the... It maybe overstaying its welcome is really only going to happen with like maybe a four player game. I feel like twos and threes, especially twos, it's going to go. It's not going to overstay its welcome. Yeah, yeah, because those those player counts play shorter. Yeah, just I mean, there's less people, there's less decisions Mm -hmm. to make, right? So that makes sense. So it still could overstay, but it doesn't feel like it does because it's a shorter gameplay, right. right? So I guess yeah, that makes sense. I get that. And as far as getting it. Oh, maybe one full round, if that. I mean, it's not, that does not add to the weight of the game. Yeah, familiarity with similar games, Concordia being the obvious comparison, right? It'll make this a really, really easy pickup, but even without a couple of card plays. But Mm -hmm. I would say seeing how the president card works which you can't play that until you've already played four previous cards meaning the president card when you play it being the fifth card that's what allows you to pull the cards mm-hmm. this the, uh, your discard back into your right. hand um you know that's really the last bit to grasp and then you're all set i mean i guess in end game scoring or seeing a ship scrapped that would be another important thing to see but it's you kind of understand the concept at least a little bit from just being having it explained and not only that but whoever's teaching the game as long as they run you through an example of how that works before the game starts you're all set so yeah overall what do you think 
I would agree with the BGG ranking. It's a solid medium. I think it might even be on the lighter side of three, but we're talking like I could see it being like a 2.8 right. as opposed to a 3.1. <laughs> right, but we're, we're not splitting, splitting hairs. hairs. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just think of it as a, as a midweight euro. Yeah, yeah definitely. All right, moving on to the components. Thoughts? Uh, all the pieces are nice. The card's nice. The pieces, the cardboard pieces are nice. Um, everything is printed well. All the colors are vibrant. All the printing is perfectly clear. You can see everything. The ship uh, conveyor, I, I, it's the ship display. I, it's a conveyor because, you know, as you pull cards, cards slide down, mm-hmm. you add more cards, right? That's a puzzle piece, which I am. you, you guys know I'm not a fan of puzzle piece boards. I, I understand that you're not, but unfortunately, it kind of would have to be that way unless they wanted to do a folding board, which that could have been an option. Why, right. they, why they didn't do that, I don't know, but... So we're nitpicking there, mm-hmm. but overall, the it's thick boards, like you said, good card stock, uh, the wooden trade houses and captain pieces, all that's fine. However, it comes with a simple cardboard compartmentalization that you build. It's functional. Absolutely, it's functional, but wholly unnecessary since you still need baggies to hold everything anyway. Right. And it's a bit of a puzzle to fit the boards in in the right order in the right direction on top of everything else. It's another game. Right, it really is. Two in one. So personally, I'd rather just save the punch board and have the box without the insert. Yeah. So... I, I know I, mean, I might was, be the exception here. It's it's fine, it's but it's in, unnecessary. It's good in premise and thought, I think, but execution-wise, not so much. Exactly. And I do want to give a shout-out, though, to them on this, mm-hmm. that the paper money is beautiful. It's nice. And it's actually usable. We, we used it, yeah. We used it in our live stream. We did. Now, will it get ding corners Absolutely. and all that? Yes. It, it, it's, it's thicker paper stock, mm-hmm. but it's still paper. Um, I, I, I'd still recommend poker chips, but you can use the paper money yes. and not want to rip know, it in eat half. glass. Yeah, right. exactly. So yeah. And it's awfully pretty, awfully pretty. It's very pretty. The box size is a square. It's 11.7 squared by 2.8 inches or 30 by 30 by seven. It's the same as something like through the, uh, through the ages, uh, ticket to ride or pixie queen. Now. Graphic design. I think it's consistent, but it could be clearer in spots. I could see that. Um, the good thing, though, is that it is carried throughout the game. So once you are understanding what this means, what X means, you're going to understand what X is throughout the entire yeah, thing. Yeah, which, I mean, ultimately, consistency is is going to be really, really important. Yeah. And I feel like that should be the standard for this. And for the most part, most mo- games are. Mostly it is. But here... There's a 1X on four colored icons, which could be, do you get one of each of them? Or do you that just get... That is confusing, get, yeah. Or do you just get one? It The answer is you just get one. Right. But that, that's not very clear. No. When transporting, i.e. sailing your ships to gain money and victory points, a couple of cards pay out differently instead of in addition to... But that's not clear on the cards when we actually had to go and like, well, wait, it says transport. Transport means you get paid on your ships and you get paid for your trade houses. Well, nope. These two cards, the ones for tonnage and the one for number of passengers. Mm -hmm. Nope. You just get that instead of nowhere is that mentioned on the cards. And then there's a, a pretty, pretty significant. It's minor in the scheme of things. But it's like, really? How did you not catch this? 
there's a color misprint in regards to the passenger tokens. <laughs> it's shown yellow on the cards, but they're actually red. It's a non-issue in playability because anytime you see that, you know, oh, that's the passenger. Right. Chits. No big deal, but I really wish it wasn't there. But I figure if we're going to talk graphic design, well. we ought to include that, right? What about the artwork? I think it's beautiful. It's fantastic. The ship cards are literally like works of art. You could print, you could like frame them. They're just beautiful. Yep. They use historical ships and they just nailed. I don't know if they're drawings or paintings of the ships. I don't know but, either. But they're really wonderful. It's beautiful to see these majestic ships depicted so well. The boards that the cards are on are actually extremely plain. But I think that's a good thing because it's on purpose. Yeah, it allows the artwork on the cards Mm -hmm. themselves to shine. So, really smart decision. And just, I I can't give enough kudos Mm -hmm. on the ship artwork. It's just, even even the frame around the ships that gives you the information about tonnage and how much it costs and all of that stuff, even that's pretty. Just, they they did an excellent job on those cards. Yep, totally agree. What about the rule book? Overall, I'd say it's fine with fine in quotes. There's a separate setup pamphlet and then the rule book. And I, again, the rule book is one of those that kind of accordion thing. It's three pages on one side, three pages on right. the other. There are a couple of parts that could have been clarified, especially for the two-player game and the one misprint uh, in, in the setup. And the layout in general, I feel like, just could have been better. The end game is mentioned on the very first page, but it's not mentioned... At the end game scoring parts, so you have to reference back to the hmm. front page. Wait, how does the game end? Because you will have gone through all the rules. That that just seemed that, like yeah, that not make well sense. thought yeah. out, in my opinion. Overall, the game's easy enough to be played straight from the rule book, but there are definitely some ambiguities here. However, on the flip side, there's a compendium of ships that are in the game with a bit of history on each That's one. That's really cool. I love that yeah. and that that seems to be the mo for all of max games so really really big fan of that it's really cool and it was cool like oh hey there's the nubian or you know there's the titanic the, the oregon and all that and i'm like wow so you go you can read up on it and about the history of the ship and and if it got a blue ribbon or whatnot <laughs> it, it was it was pretty cool i i appreciate that being a fan of history i definitely thought that was a nice touch we also did a playthrough of it on our YouTube channel if you want to check that out, but we did not teach that, which which in hindsight was a mistake. People did not like that. Noted. Oops. All right, so what do you dig about Transatlantic? I like that this is truly an interesting take on a deck builder. How so? Well, like every time that you're done with a round in your deck, you're then able to select another cool card to add to your collection. And it's even better that that card you get is played immediately, which can help you get a leg up on your first turn after pulling all of your cards up. Yeah, I like that aspect. The fact that it doesn't just go straight into your discard, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like Dominion or or whatever. Most deck builders, you actually get the use of the card the minute you pick it up, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, I dig that. Yeah, definitely. 
It's also important to plan it out so that you can purchase trade houses in as many of the sections as possible, because those are going to get you points and money throughout the game. But in order to place a trade house, you have to have a ship in that area at time of purchase. So that's just another layer of planning that you have to go into to... And I find myself getting bit by that on occasion. (laughs) Be like, oh, wow, there's only that trade house only costs 30 bucks. Let me. uh, Oh, I don't have a ship. I'll snap. Hashtag plan better. Yes. Another thing is that it's so important to not neglect your personal board because those are multipliers that are used during scoring when scrapping older ships as well as in-game scoring. And, And that actually has been the reason why I have not done well in this game Mm -hmm. overall is there's multiplier scoring at the end of the game to where however many lay or how many rows you've completed of blue verbonds and coal and passengers and all these Mm -hmm. five different tokens that you have to kind of set collection like but you don't have to collect them even but it you only get more victory points if you actually collect have complete sets by Mm -hmm. the end of the Mm -hmm. game and i've been like "Eh, what's an extra five ten points it it's it's the difference in the game edward that's what that is right (laughs) and so because what i would end up doing is I would focus on you know getting many uh, passenger tokens to where every time one of my passengers or ships, uh, one of my red ships gets scrapped, I'm going to get even more points, be it seven, nine, or ten points because I have a bunch of those passenger tokens. So that so I would get out to this huge lead or or whatnot. However then you guys catch up because you've built evenly mm-hmm, across, mm-hmm. or at least you've. A, managed to get to that point by the end of the game and i have not and oh especially with the blue rabons if you don't get those early it's very well likely yeah, that you you're can, not going to get those you can get shut out and not get those at all and, which now means you're not getting that multiplier scoring right so that can be painful but again plan better it's it's different choices in mm-hmm. different directions that you choose to go right absolutely the turns are super quick in this mm-hmm. game. They should be. Play a card, do the action, done. Next player's card, right. next player's turn. And it's not, um, you know, Vito Lacerda. All you have to do is play a yeah, card, no. do the thing, draw a card. It's no, not no. It's not in, in Lacerda ease. Right, right, right. It's definitely a lot more simplistic in that, okay, look, you do this action. Okay, you transport a ship, bah, 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 whatever, you get mm-hmm. paid, that's it. Now, there can be a time where as you purchase new ships and you deploy those ships they're in columns in different areas to where as a new ship enters that dock or that area if Mm -hmm. you will it pushes all the older ships down one level and it's possible you can push one ship out and if that happens if it's not younger meaning newer than any other location then it gets scrapped then you have to actually go into the scrapping Mm -hmm. scoring of it that's a hard thing to say scrapping scoring scrapping scoring uh, but it can go – so if it can go into a different column – It must. Then it might push out another ship and mm-hmm. rinse and repeat. So some of those can take a little bit longer, but at no point is it an extended turn. Mm-hmm. All the turns are moving. Like, oh, if I'm deciding on a card maybe from playing then my you president, you know, mm-hmm. hey, go ahead. And it's possible if I'm – like, I don't know. It's possible by the time I decide it's my turn again in a four-player game. If you're hemming and hawing, it's going to be your turn again. Right. The mechanic of the leftmost ship and the ship market being put in the docks after a ship purchase is kind of cool because it makes you have to take those into account when deciding what ships to purchase as well as what ships to not 
push out. And that's that stock mechanism. I, I don't really I don't feel know. like it's a mechanism, but it's that's part, part. That, that that's part of that that investment or that stock investment. Because if you okay, let's say there's a green ship at the end and somebody buys one or two other ships further up the conveyor. That green ship then goes into the dock. And if there are any other green ships, this just adds to the cumulative value of the victory points right. that a, every time a green ship is scrapped, that player is going to score. So it's kind of a stock market investment thing, sort of. Yeah. And so you're like, wow, I really want green ships. But if you already have a green ship or two, then you're like, well, I really don't want anybody to get that green mm -hmm. ship. I want that to fall off the end of the conveyor so that it makes my green ships worth more. So it's kind of a – that's unique. Yeah, I, it is. I haven't seen that anywhere else that I can think of, mm -mm. that that mechanism no, or know. that riff on a stock market mm -hmm. maybe. Um, so, yeah, really, really dig that. I think that was pretty cool overall. Um yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, like, whenever you're deploying, if you deploy to an area that would give your opponent an advantage scoring-wise, like, it would push out their ship to scrap, then maybe you go somewhere else. Maybe you put it in a different area. But then again, where do you have trade houses? So as you build trade houses, you're going to, every time you transport one of your ships in that area, you're going to score once for mm -hmm. each trade ship or trade house that you have there plus however many ships you actually transport in that area. So even though your opponent might score well, you might score better. So ergo, maybe you still put it there. Right. So there's a there's a fair bit of decision to make on that. The amount of history and research that went into the game. So for instance, the cities chosen for the HQ correspond to various HQs for the companies. So here we go. So Liverpool was selected as the HQ for Cunard. It's the Cunard building. Hamburg shows the old HQ of Hatbag, I think is how you say it, which was later reconstructed. And this is all from Mac. He, oh, okay. he mentioned all this. Bremen shows the old HQ of Nord. Lloyd, uh, which was bombed during uh, during World War II. Rotterdam shows the old HQ of the Holland America line. Now, La Havre, however, represents a fantasized, a made-up building. That's the only one. Mm -hmm. And on top of that... Ha what ships have what color or if you will what share you know they're black green red etc that also came into play historically blue is either hat bag black is mainly cunard ships white is mainly white star and then red or green are mixes of other lines some of those obviously had to be adjusted for mm -hmm. for game balance and stuff but as a general rule that's how they followed that. And I appreciate, again, being a fan of history, I, I think that's it's just really, really cool. a nice touch mm -hmm. and a really cool aspect. Yeah, it is. I will also say that it's not very difficult to obtain money in the game. So that's not something that you're kind of working against the game for, um, especially if you're able to obtain either a cargo or cruise extension card after getting a very heavy or passenger-laden ship. You just can clean up. I don't know if that's good, though. I mean, there, there are times that... Money is tight. I, I mm -hmm. have been to where I'm like, oh, wow, those are really expensive ships. I have 40 bucks. I'm not buying right. a ship this turn. Well, that's okay. Plan better. Transport, you know, mm -hmm. generate money. But there are ways but of, of getting money like those cards you talked about. But then again, you're foregoing 
the use of other cards. So, yeah. again, it's kind of that push-pull mm-hmm. thing, right? Yep, definitely. So, on the flip side, things not to like. It can be a bit samey. Um, the cards a are bit? not <laughs> The cards are not going to change, you know, ever. The, car- the order that they come out will, but the physical cards themselves are going to stay the same unless, you know, expansions or something. Yeah, and on that repetitive note, there's really no arc to the game. No. Yes, the ships evolve, they get bigger, faster, more capacity. And but it's it's like in a video game, if it's if you're level one and you're hitting, you know, a rabbit or whatever, and they have one hit point, but you can only hit them for like half a point at a time, that feels the same as if you're level 100 hitting a monster for 5,000 points and they have the, acu- you know, it's, it's the exact same... You're doing the exact same thing, just numbers are bigger. Right, exactly. Uh, I mean, and it's cool to see these famous ships of history, whether it's Lusitania, you have, oh man, the the, the Mauritania, mm-hmm. the, the Titanic's in there. I mean, it's cool to see all these ships come mm-hmm. out. And, I mean, the, again, you get to oogle over the artwork. Right. However, the game itself doesn't arc. Buy ships, place them, transport, scrap, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That blue rebond fight, if one person does that consistently without anyone else being able to get in there and stopping it or, you know, getting your own, it makes it very difficult to obtain those rebonds in order to fill your tableau like you were talking about before. And the blue rebond historically was, I think, for our, uh, the quickest uh, transport across the Atlantic from, I, I want to say it's from the UK to New York, I think is what it was. And so whatever ship has the fastest speed in that as it comes into the New York Harbor or mm-hmm. the New York line here in the game, if it's the fastest ship, you get the blue rebond. But if you're able to play one of those cards early that has a higher speed that was actually historically it got the blue ribbon, mm-hmm. you're definitely shutting down the ability yes. of others to be able to complete or not complete, but to fill up different rows on their board. I agree that it it definitely seems tight and mm-hmm. tough to do if somebody is focusing on that. Very much so. Like the very first game that we had banker dave that's all he did so he shut all of us out from getting those to be able to finish up a a row so yeah the game is abstracted past a comfortable level for me it loses a sense of space both in a literal sense your ships transport across the atlantic or or up and down the eastern seaboard or whatever however they don't actually move you just say okay i'm transporting you remove a coal cube Mm -hmm. from the ship you transported and i mean not only that but there's little spatial relevance to the location of your ships outside of having those aforementioned trading houses in certain locations and placing your ships there it's just it's overly abstracted yeah i could see that for sure the cards that you can add to your deck also get repetitive Mm -hmm. and they're just uninspired when there's multiple ones of all of them in the deck exactly. as well. Exactly, and, that, and that's what I mean by it's just, it's repetitive. Like, mm-hmm. you tell me that out of this this fairly good-sized deck of cards, there couldn't be more variety right. there, so that, that got really stale pretty quick. Last but not least, the game did something that never bodes well. A diminished amount of enjoyment, play after play. Yes. The first play, I dug the game. Next time, I, I still dug it pretty well. Then a bit less the next time, 
then a bit less, mm-hmm. and after the fifth play, I'm all set. Thanks. Never a good sign. Nope. As far as scalability for the game, mechanically, the number of boards or areas for the ship, that scales based right. on player count, as does the dock. So that investing where we said, so as ships would fall off the conveyor, they would come over to the dock. Well, in a four-player game, the dock is empty at the beginning of the game. You have access to every ship in the game. Mm-hmm. However, with two or three players, or, or less than four, there's less ships for players to buy, which means shorter playtime because the dock comes preceded with a set amount of of well of ships, ships. already in there. Right. And so there there's certain ships are going to be worth more than others, and that's just random at the beginning of the mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. So as far as gameplay, for me, having played it at 2, 3, and 4, I don't really know that there's a large difference in the feel of the game. I didn't think so. I mean, since you're more focused on what you're doing anyway, there 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 is some interaction, but there's just not a ton no. in this game. So I don't feel like I'm missing anything playing at 2 versus 3 or 4. Did no, you? not at all. I, I will say 2-player was my favorite, but I think it's because it moved faster. That well, makes sense because the length of the game is shorter, right. but the game feels similar. Yeah. No, ma- no matter on no. the player count, which I don't know. Is that a good or a bad thing? I don't know. I mean... It doesn't it, feel... It feels the same at 2 as it does at 4, which, you know, you would think 4 would maybe feel more epic or something. Or, but, or more interactive. But I, no. just, I, I just didn't get that Mm-mm. impression because the size of the bo- playing area or the boards for the number of ships scales. It just it felt the same yeah, to me. It, it really, me really did. Yep. Comments from BGG? Yeah. So here we go. I mixed them up pretty good. There's a handful of these. So let's get to it. Concordia card play with the economic bent instead of a map. Gives me a hint of automobile. Overall, I like it. I don't know if I feel the automobile aspect of it, but... I mean, it's transportation. No, I I I think it means the actual game, but yeah, okay, fair enough. I really like Concordia. Turns out that a lot of the enjoyment came from the interactivity of the map play. The oceans and ships in Transatlantic don't come anywhere near providing that kind of interactivity. The result is a game that feels a lot more like multiplayer solitaire, but with no upside to compensate. Also, reading the manual gave me the impression that this would have some sort of neat 18xx obsolescence train rush feel, which I hadn't thought about, but yeah. Neither, I, yeah, I, would, I, I yeah. could, you're right. In practice, just not there. The only thing that the aging mechanism does is cause a lot of fiddly moving of very old and irrelevant boats. Transatlantic was a bit hard to wrap my mind around, but pretty fascinating. I can see why it might disappoint fans of Concordia who either don't know or don't care for Mac's other games. It uses the card player Concordia and the player sheet of Navigador to make another stock game that doesn't quite feel like a stock game like Imperial. That is exactly the kind of combination to excite me, but it might be a little dry for others. It's harder to see how the elements fit together than in Concordia. It took me a while to see the stock elements, but they're there. Players are working with a public valuation of the stock, i.e. the docks, and the private valuation, their player boards, to get the most points. The twist is that the players don't get to decide when to sell their stocks. They're pushed out by the players. Just a fascinating game. I can't wait to play it again. Cool. All right. Hoping for much better. 
The mix of theme and author made me expect another winner. In fact, the game feels very dry and incredibly repetitive. And incredibly repetitive. And, and incredibly, incredibly repetitive. repetitive. And incredibly repetitive. Found this disappointing after really enjoying Navigador and Concordia. I think the lack of any map took away from the theme of travel, and the majority of the points come from scrapping your ships. I think you should be trying to get as much use out of an older ship and agonizing over the scrapping point, but here, it's the main driver. Can't see any alternative route to victory either. Very monostrategic. A shame. Yeah. So there you go. There's a fair mix of it. Yeah, good and bad. Your summary, sir? Oh, I get to go first. All right, cool. Here we go. After years of it being held back for further design and development, I think that it may have been developed down past the point of being a game that I want to play. The idea and the artwork on the ships is fantastic, but if you're going to take parts from a known good game, I would hope that it elevates them to an exciting new level. Transatlantic did not do that. In reading through the ratings and comments on BGG, just about every person that had any comments at all just talked about how they got it thinking it would be a successor to Concordia, or they loved Gertz and wanted it to be similar to Navigador. And most of those people were disappointed at Transatlantic. For me, though, I've only played Navigador once and haven't played Concordia in years. So going into this game, I knew nothing and expected nothing, as I normally do with a new game. Transatlantic is fine. There's nothing mind-blowing here and nothing expected or crazy. So I gave it a three because, well, I, I think from the review, that wouldn't be terribly surprising. And this is why, I think... If we play a game on a live stream early on in our playing, I think it might differ from how we would feel about a game than if we had a mm -hmm. bunch of plays under our belt on, in some cases, not always the case. This would be one of those cases because we all really kind of yeah. dug this and that was only our second play of the game. So interesting to see mm -hmm. the evolution from, oh yeah, hey, I'm digging it to... Yeah, I think I'm all yeah, set. Yeah, because I rated it a three as well. But if you listen to my raving and wonderfulness about it after the play on YouTube, it's it's just like night and day. But I've played it more. So now I'm just like, eh. And that right there is why we try and play a game four or five, six times yep. before we review it. Prime we, example right here. Yep. We do want to thank Mac as well as PD Verlag for a review copy of the game. So thank you for to them. And that is Transatlantic. All right. That was pretty cool. That yeah. was fun. That was yeah. a good episode. I didn't sneeze. Didn't hurt my ribs. Thank that makes goodness. me happy. You, right? you reared back a couple times. I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> Here it comes. All right. So, yeah. Next week's going to be lighter as far as video content. Yes. We have a handful of things that's going to be heavier, actually, on the podcast side, which should make you all happy, <laughs> um, but lighter on the video side. So we're going to try and alternate this as much as we can. Make sure we're giving love to both sides. Seesaw, you know, you got to. Yeah. G give and take, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. True. So next week, uh, hopefully you all join us for our in-depth review of Gentis. Oh, by yeah. Spielworks and now Tasty Menstrual, although the review is going to be strictly off the Spielworks yes. edition since, well, the Tasty Menstrual one doesn't exist yet because it's currently on Kickstarter. That is correct. The files are already, Lance says, <laughs> but there is no, you know, like pieces you can hold in your hand. So just a reminder, if you have ideas for our 100th episode, hit us up. 
If you have favorite moments or favorite video moments, given to us links and timestamps, y'all. Please. Please help us help you make an exciting 100th yeah. episode as well as our one-year anniversary for being on YouTube. All right? Please, guys. Cool. Thanks, and y'all have a wonderful rest of the week. We will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.